Welcome to another edition of the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to our second season. Thank you so much for listening, for subscribing, and for leaving a rating on our podcast. In this second season, we'll be doing more interviews, more questions with Father, and more spiritual conferences and sermons from our priests around the world. Coming up in the next week or so, we'll have another edition of Questions with Father with Father Paul Robinson. Also, a question and answer segment that was recorded about a week ago with Father Lawrence Novak, who is the head of the Autonomous House of the SSPX in Central America. But today we're excited to present our first part of the interview with Dr. John Rao. Dr. Rao has appeared at the Angelus Press Conferences, he's the director of the Roman Forum, and he's an associate professor of history at St. John's University. It was in this capacity as a scholar and a professor of history that we asked him about the state of tradition in the world today and in the United States, and also we started to dive into a little bit more of the educational systems, the problems he sees with it. And as always, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to leave us a message on our Facebook page or send us a message through the contact form on the U.S. District website at sspx.org. Now our interview with Dr. Rao. So you're, you're very familiar to, uh, to many of us, I'm sure. Uh, recently, you wrote an article called Good Bishops, Court Bishops, and Modern Regalism. That's in the latest issue of The Angelus. Uh, you're also a uh, speaker at The Angelus Press Conference. And uh, just wanted to, t- to chat with you a little bit uh, because you have a depth of knowledge about history and about uh, the Catholic Church and, you know, kind of tying those two together. And I wanted to start off by asking, what, do you, what are your thoughts, generally speaking, on, on the future of traditionalism? I guess we'll start very broadly and, and kind of distill down from there. Well, I mean, there's varied ways you can tackle that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in terms of being more sophisticated— it seems a lot more sophisticated now than when we first began <laughs> this whole thing. Uh, people, people are more open to trying to understand broader, broader uh, problems, but that's not true everywhere. And of course, you keep getting new waves of people who are joining uh, because they discover what the problems are, and uh, that can that can set back this uh, much more broad understanding of how to interpret what's 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 taking place. When you think about the whole picture outside of just the uh, uh, the precincts of the church and speak about what kind of impact traditionalists and such may have on the world at large, then you might say, well, it seems as though we we've gone nowhere <laughs> because because we're we're very very little in the calculations of uh, of the world out out there. You're really well suited to answer that question, and and the reason I started off with that is is because, like I said earlier, you have a you have knowledge about the history, you have knowledge about the Catholic Church, and you recently wrote a book called "The Black Legends and Light of the World," uh, and that's that's a study of, of church history. How do you how do you see you know this movement that is that is happening now? Uh, and again, there's probably many different ways we can tackle this, but maybe pick one one thing that you could compare it to in the history of the Catholic Church. This traditional movement that's been going on for the last 40 years is it something that has any anecdote or any kind of precursor in the history of the church that you've seen? Well, uh, perhaps it would be best if I just mentioned uh, the whole theme of that book to begin with. Sure. And quite, quite frankly, I never really liked the title of it. <laughs> what, I, what I wanted to call it, what I wanted to call it was the war of the words and the word. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, the problem was that uh, the publisher said that uh, everybody would get confused and think it was just simply a misspelling or something. Uh-huh. But the point is that 
it seems to me that it's not just the history of the whole Catholic Church, but it's the history of everything that the Catholic Church saw uh, as a, um, a secular precursor to itself, active in uh, the Greco-Roman world uh, in terms of people trying to hunt for substantive truth. And the problem that we face, that the church has always faced, and that anybody seeking really substantive truth has faced, as I tried to uh, demonstrate in that book, is a- an attempt to try to really get at what in our in our in our Christian sense, the word is all about, and not to get swallowed up in, uh, and then get manipulated by, and uh, ultimately really uh, perverted by people who are merely playing with words. And so, in that book, what I did was I tr- I tried to demonstrate that really the whole battle that I think can summarize the history of the church in a very very effective way. Uh, is uh, is something which is already reflected in the battle of of uh, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle against the Sophists, because it's people seeking substantive truth and dealing with those who don't want to be bothered by substantive truth and instead play around with words in order to mock and uh, and dem- and and try to depict to the world at large those who really are serious as being just a bunch of losers. You can go through crisis after crisis after crisis in the history of the church and see where the church has been effective and where it's not been effective and see that it's been most effective when it realized that its strength lies in in the word and in the grace that comes from the word incarnate and not in playing games with the world at large by means of trying to fit in with fancy words that are perhaps acceptable to any given era, but which gets you nowhere. And so to get back to your basic question here with regard to the tra- traditionalists, it seems to me that on uh, even on the less sophisticated level, if you're dealing with people who are not fully aware, let's say, of the whole problem, but then going right up to the top level, they are all united in the fact that they recognize that what uh, is lost in the non-traditionalist world is the contact with what's substantive truth. And for many people, their, their daily or their, their, most, uh, their most effective contact with substantive truth comes through the liturgy, which is why the liturgy is so important in terms of really, really being tied in with the reality of God and God become incarnate and uh, then the way growth, grace flows from that. And, um, and then What's necessary is to is to recognize that this has to be expanded to understanding uh, that the, the the whole message and everything connected with the implantation of that message in political and social ways is is the same thing. It's a struggle for substantive truth uh, in a phrase that uh, is understood by uh, all of us who are believers that requires Christ being made king, and uh, the whole non-traditionalist. Uh, the, the, the counter to that at the moment is just one new reflection of an, an effort to squirm out of that uh, effort to make Christ the king and to try to use fancy words and phrases and slogans that may sound good and which may change based upon the error that you're talking about, but which really are a, a flight from what God wants us to do. So when you talk about the substance of truth and and people not being able to to find that and, and getting, I guess, distracted by 
these other things and, and the fancy words, like you say, is that something that you're seeing, you know, as, as a professor of history, you know, teaching younger, younger generation, say, you know, my generation and, and younger, is that something you're seeing just that, that lack of, of depth? And how would you suggest that that be in, increased? Well, I mean, the, the, the entire uh, thrust of modern education is sophist in character. It's, it's all uh, designed to deal with ephemeral things. The bulk of modern education in terms of dealing with anything which is uh, literary in character or anything for that matter which is political and social and, and then can play back on even the scientific subjects as we well know, let's say with the obsession with evolution, is not concerned with getting at the roots of things. What it's concerned with is making uh, a nice, a nice, telling a nice story Mm-hmm. And telling a nice story in a way that can gain you power and gain you riches and gain you uh, a, a satisfaction of various passions, whatever they might be, all of it subsumed really in the, 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 um, the very, very uh, sophistic and ultimately magical argument of somebody like Francis Bacon, who mm-hmm. said, what, what is the purpose of knowledge? Knowledge is for power. And uh, that's that's not – a Christian statement, that's not a Socratic statement. Uh, that's not even a statement that people who are worshipers of f- false religions, but who are nevertheless perhaps motivated by a desire to try to understand truth, could possibly agree with. And our whole educational system is tied in this kind of approach, and it's part of this whole approach to prevent you from stepping back and seeing that this is exactly what the whole nature of our educational system is, because to stand back and judge it is to enter into the realm of theology and philosophy in a way which is divisive mm-hmm. and based upon the kinds of sophistic arguments these people have used from the beginning, is taking time away from doing what it is that you're supposed to be doing, which is making big-time bucks um, or gaining uh, the satisfaction of whatever passion most appeals to you. And, and maybe I'm taking this into too much of a specifics, but when, when you talk about cleaving education away from that end purpose of what we have it today, which is you know making a ton of money or getting a lot of power, that kind of stuff, um, right. obviously there education has to have, there, there has to be some education that does tie into that, you know, trade schools, learning, you know, a trade, learning a profession. Are you, right. are you suggesting some sort of separation between uh, say a, a liberal arts universities and say trade universities and, and kind of splitting those off, splitting off the hard sciences from the, uh, from the logic, philosophy and theology, those kinds of things? Well, no, I wouldn't want to split them off. I mean, the thing is that trade education is a very good thing, yeah. but but it can also be uh, really destroyed in terms of its ultimate impact if it's part of a culture that's not, in other regards, raising people's minds and, and hearts up to, to, to higher things. So I wouldn't necessarily say that. I mean, if we were talking about a thousand years ago, uh, then you might be able to say, well, sure, trade education as a separate matter is fine. And in point of fact, it was. Right. It was a separate thing. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily want uh, want to say that. Uh, the um, the problem now, and it's not it's not a, 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 a it's sort of like a question of the Catholic vision of what happens after original sin compared to the Protestants. It's not that modern education is totally depraved. Right. Uh, right. It's 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 wounded horribly by the original sin of modern understanding of what education uh, has to be or should be. But within the whole 
ruined structure or semi-ruined structure of modern education. And even at the schools that um, are the, the um, perhaps most badly affected, there's, it's still possible for people to get a good education. Uh, I mean, for example, I'll give you an instance. I, I would have no hesitation sending a Catholic who was uh, uh, had a good sense of his faith and was um, had a good support community. I have no uh, no objection at all sending them off to Columbia University in New York for historical studies, because the historians that I know there have got a solid understanding of how. They have to teach people history. Mm-hmm. And even though their own personal judgments of how to interpret it might be wrong, as far as I see, they don't they don't destroy the methodology. And it's fine. Um, but the problem is that what you've got to do is you've got to you've got to it's a, it's like a slalom course skiing. You've got to the 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 institution is such is not helping you. It's not there to help you. Um, you're there skiing down a slope with all kinds of diversions along the way. And you got to find out who the good professors are, what the good um, programs might be, and then be aware of where they could be twisted, even by people that might be trusted. Um, I know other people who've been to the same institution and in literature and the literature program, I don't know what it's like now because my experience was from years ago was, was, uh, uh, very, very badly corrupted by uh, by what's the term deconstructionism that uh, wouldn't allow you to really treat the texts that you were reading as um, presenting a message that was anything other than a hidden support for something sick um, and modern. So I, I think what you've got with the educational system, it, it might be harder uh, to deal with it on the, in fact, it is harder to deal with it on the primary or the secondary level. On the higher education level, I think you can maneuver your way through it if you can come out without being bankrupted for the rest of your life. Um, it's it's harder, I think, with primary and secondary school to perhaps be able to escape whatever the guiding ethos, uh, whatever the guiding ethos is. But but even there, you might be able to do it. I I, I think it's harder. So what do you what do you see as uh, as as a positive? future development for education as a whole. Um, we, uh, you know, obviously it's, uh, we, we are fighting an uphill battle um, yeah. with, yeah. with you know, the restoration, both of Christ the King and culture and like you're talking about in, in education. Um, but what are things that that professors like you at, at St. John's University or uh, other schools can do to help kind of guide guide the ship correctly? I mean, obviously we, we, have, we have schools that are, that are doing the right thing, but there are very few and far between. Um, right, right. Is there a place for the, you know, for the for the Harvards, for the state universities, um, and is there a way that those that those can be kind of righted, or are you kind of, I guess, writing them off in in a sense? No, no, I wouldn't write them off. I mean, uh, if you want to talk about, I mean, what your question is is is, I mean, very very much to the point, and it leads also into other realms as well. So I might uh, have to uh, attack this in machine gun fashion because sure. it, it does, it does cover a lot of different, uh, different, uh, uh, realms, but, uh, no, I wouldn't write off, uh, even the Ivy league schools. In fact, I, I know, I know at Harvard right now that, um, there is, um, there's a Catholic priest there that I know who is uh, very, very friendly to the traditionalist movement and, uh, and is a good guide that people could, um, could look to for spiritual help as well. But there are, there are sizable su- student communities 
in in places like um, Harvard or Yale or Princeton or other spots, which are 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 are, are valuable, um, but um, and and therefore you could you could uh, survive there quite well, more than survive there quite well. The um, the thing is that talking about education in general, higher education in general, you you've just got the broader social problem that uh, nobody can afford this. If you can get into a, an Ivy League school, you're likely to be able to be paid for. But uh, the, the the whole swelled uh, system of higher education and the cost to upkeep it has led to this situation where people, and I'm talking about my own students in particular, are really mortgaging their whole lives for nothing. Sure. Uh, because, because they're Going through this program where it's hit and miss in terms of whether you find the right teachers to guide you, and then you've got to pay this off for the rest of your life in an economy which heaven knows will go down what direction. So this the financial question is a hugely important one, and it seems to me that what will happen um, within, I think, a very, very short space of time is that uh, the large majority of colleges – that have no specific purpose, such as, as you say, there's some within our own circles that because they have a specific purpose may well be able to survive financially. Mm -hmm. But the vast bulk of American colleges of the middling sort, I, I don't see how they're going to be able to survive. Parents are going to end up having to revolt against paying these vast sums of money that no one can take care of. And what you'll be left with is a smaller network of state schools, which will be big, and the Ivy League schools, and and, and th this is kind of a this is kind of a chicken and the egg problem uh, from what you're describing. What what you said at the beginning about you know students going to college thinking that they need to make go there to make the big bucks. Well, they do have to go there to make the big bucks because they're paying so much money to get the education. So you know your I, I guess your your and sorry to interrupt you, but your your point is let's get at the root of the problem, which is not so much the the idea that students have to go there to make a lot of money, but let's get rid of the money equation. Not entirely. I mean, I'm again, I'm not putting words in your mouth and saying, you know, Dr. Rao wants uh, university for everyone for free. Uh, but let's take away at least most of or part of that that money equation, make the colleges and the universities more affordable. And then you then you are more free to be able to study uh, something that it has less of a trade implication or money implication. Right. I mean, that's uh, if you could, as I say, if you're lucky enough to get into an Ivy League school, you may be able to do what should be done without being destroyed for the rest of your life financially. Right. The, the, the state schools, insofar as they rise up to the fore, may well cost less. They do cost less. And if they are sufficiently less that people can be able to go into them, because a lot of these places are enormous, it may well be possible for Catholic communities to function there so long as the other part of the political equation doesn't uh, end up dominating with this this um, this closing in on uh, the ability freely to express what it is that you think and um, and 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 want to study and and uh, um, and and then carry 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 on with it because that's that's always another another danger there um, as well and. Uh, also, also, I don't, I don't think when this goes perhaps back to your other question. Well, a trade school education is something which can give you a, a, a good solid living, but I don't think it's a, 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 a. I don't think that what we ought to be doing is presuming that there's going to be one 
clear solution to this problem. It seems to me that there's going to be a lot of a lot of groping um, and decision making that will send some people off to the old line schools, some people off to new schools, some people off to perhaps trade schools where they might have wanted to go from the first place. But what I don't like, um, and I, I certainly uh, in, uh, in, in some traditionalist circles, I see this eva- having vastly improved since, let's say, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and uh, I'll just mention this in case I forget it. Um, there, there are certain unfortunate signs that I've seen in some uh, more primary and secondary forms of home school education that I'm, I'm not happy with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, but, uh, uh, there, there, this, this idea that somehow or other, because everything seems to be perverted, that everyone should go away and hide, um, has created for a, a good number of people, um, a, um, a tendency to try to create a generation, which is going to be nothing other than gatherers of wood, you know, <laughs> right. Uh, and, and that's, I don't think that's a wise decision. There's no reason why we shouldn't still be everything that is possible to be so long as the mentality of, um, of accepting, um, the, um, the, the, I think insane judgments of the secular world and the professional world as guidelines for how we, how we might become medical doctors or lawyers or whatever is, is avoided. I mean, I don't see any, any, any reason why someone who has the desire and the potential to, 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 to enter into the, the, the medical world or the legal world, um, or dare I even say, because I'm not really that fond of it, the business world, um, I shouldn't do so, so long as he doesn't get swallowed up in this Opus Dei mentality. Right. You yeah. know, you, you, because this business of treating the professional as though he's a demigod, um, uh, who then so, so accepts the standards of the world outside that you have to hush, keep, keep talking about uh, Christ the King. You have to talk about that in hushed tones, lest uh, you disturb anybody. That that would be a disaster and wrong. Right. And and, yeah. and that is something that, you know, we, we just saw happen uh, recently in, in the Kansas state legislature. One of our priests uh, gave the opening uh, prayer to the to the Kansas State Assembly. It's it's these little things, and and he was assisted by a, a businessman who became a a state representative and and was invited to do that. It's it's these little things, like you say, not to not to be a wallflower, not to hide our faith, or not to hide our tradition, even, uh, but to go out there and do it and and to be proud of it. I, that sounds so trite, but to be proud of what we are and and what we do, and not to hide. And, and feel like we have to, it's this treasure that we have to hoard. I mean, that's that's the parable of the talents right there that we're not following, it seems to me. Right, right, right. In this regard, I, let's talk about this for a minute, and then I'll get back to the other realm that I was saying I saw as, I see as often a problem in primary and secondary homeschooling education. Sure. I mean, there's there's a lot that there's a lot that 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 obviously um, has to go into. Being someone um, in a, uh, a very exposed profession, including my own, right. uh, in, in the world around us today, and it it does it does involve um, the wisdom of serpents as well. I mean, being being uh, cautious, striking when the iron is hot, but without ever abandoning uh, right. your, your, your 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 commitment and. 
I am very, very keen on uh, constantly reminding people that what the, the entire insanity of the world that we live in very much requires is a, a strong developed sense of humor because it is insane what we're living what we're living uh, this this reminds me i mean perhaps this isn't a, 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 the, the best anecdote to uh, indicate to 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 to, to describe it but when um, ezra pound the poet was released from the insane asylum that he was put in by the american authorities after the second world war and went back to italy afterwards he asked um I, something he was asked something to the effect of what did it feel like to be released from the insane asylum? And he said, well, it didn't feel much different because the rest of the world around me was an insane asylum. <laughs> and, um, and, and the thing is that it seems me, to me that retaining a sense of humor about the, um, the, the limitations of one's own profession, the, um, the, um, the absurdity of the structures that we're operating in, even when it is still the case that it's it's possible to uh, continue to use the court system to achieve justice or the educational system to achieve an education or medicine to actually heal people rather than murder them. Right. Uh, that that it, it, it's going to require a lot of maneuvering and maneuvering with a sense of humor uh, and perhaps with. Uh, a, a real tie-in with lives of the saints who have uh, had to operate in circumstances like this, or, or the early church fathers. I mean, when you read someone like St. Clement of Alexandria, who is describing how you have to operate as a Christian in the pagan environment of Alexandria of the second century after Christ, uh, you, you hear someone giving you instructions in a world that does not sound much different than living in uh, a modern pagan pagan city or a modern pagan environment of every of any regard so it's gonna it requires a lot right but but the thing is that that what what um, bothers me a great deal is the way in which I think this ties in with one of the questions you you sent to me by email about what what do I see happening when people leave schools and go off into their environments that they're going to be working in I, I, I've seen over and over again people who started out wanting to operate in this way, but apparently were not really aware of just how strong that outside culture is, especially as you go through it on a machine-like basis, day in, day out, yeah. and ultimately uh, end up treating those who don't understand that this is the way of the world as uh, being really rather silly. So they do tend to fade by the, by, by the boards, a lot of people. But to go back to the other side of the picture, um, we have a lot of experience with my family with homeschooling, primary and secondary, and we've had a lot of good experience, and then we've also had a lot of, a lot of um, problematic experiences. And the problematic experiences have been connected with people who are very much tempted because of their well, – I mean, there's a variety of reasons, but like say from a Catholic standpoint, a lot of people have been very badly burned by the progressive theologians of, of the era have, uh, have developed a contempt for thought, for theology, for philosophy, for any really deep thinking – as being somehow or other, by its very nature, destructive. 
And they're tempted, a, a, a good number of people in this regard, to go down the direction of what's referred to as uh, unschooling. I don't know if you've ever heard the terminology. Yeah. Where you don't structure the schooling, you don't give people even a, um, a, 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 clear, um, a clear education how to read and write. And I've heard people talk about this in uh, our own circles in a way that really is uh, mouthing off Jean-Jacques Rousseau rather than anybody Catholic and saying, oh, everybody's just going to go out in the fields and have a hands-on contact with nature and then just allow the learning to, to seep in by osmosis. And right. it doesn't happen. Coming up next week, the conclusion of our conversation with Dr. Rao. We'll dive into some topics like what can parents do to prepare their children for a life in today's world. Also, I asked Dr. Rao the question, are you hopeful at all about the state of the world today? His answer? But the reason why I'm hopeful in the midst of all of this is it's my reason as well as my faith tells me this can't go on. This and much more is coming up next week on the SSPX podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review. This will help more people to see the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. 